0: And I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions. It's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves, and to help our companies Take on different strategies. Pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you gotta have great tasting food. You gotta have great tasting beverages. Package goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're gonna lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands, some CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're gonna find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week, but I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Tony, and I have got a new monthly segment that I have been trying out. I call it the Food and Beverage Report. The problem is, I don't know about you guys, I get inundated with emails every day from all these news sources. I just can't get through all the news. There's just too much. So I dive in, I read stories. Some of them I think are absolute garbage. Other ones I find kind of interesting, and I thought, you know, this might be a great segment for you guys to pop in, let's get an important update You know, on the trends that are happening, what's going to impact your business, and just other news that I might find interesting or frankly just kind of funny or entertaining. And what I thought I'd do today, I thought I'd bring in one of my friends from the food service equipment side, Eric Schmidt. He's the VP for Rapids and Affiliates. I thought I'd have, have him come down, talk to us a little bit about what he's seeing out in the marketplace as well. It's always more fun to have someone here
1: on the podcast with me. Eric, how's it going up there in uh, Iowa today? It's beautiful today. It's a rarity for us. And uh, by the way, I'm I'm really pleased I can be a test dummy with you on this adventure, Tony. Uh, that did you, you, did t- you just call yourself segment. a test dummy? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I because like the way we're starting fine. this off. <laughs> but no, I'm blessed. It's a, it's a great day up here. Uh, anybody that's in the upper Midwest knows that it can be hit or miss in springtime. You either get uh, winter-like temperatures or you get Scorching hot summer temperatures and rarely anywhere in between. But uh, today's one of those rare days where we actually have the benefit of a spring like day. So, yeah, you got to go to California typically to get those,
0: you know, nice days. But you pay, you know, you you pay three, four times the rent. So we'll take that's right. We'll take what we can get. Um, So for folks that might not know a lot about Rapids affiliates, what uh, what exactly do you guys do? Uh, in terms of supporting your food service clients out of the marketplace?
1: You bet. Well, thanks for asking the question. So, Rapids and Affiliates, we are a commercial food service equipment and supplies dealership. Uh, So, we're one of the distributors, the many distributors in this country that are responsible for helping uh, the operators in this country, whether they be independent restaurants all the way up to college and university dining. Do anything from designing and building a brand new concept of theirs uh, to handling the day-to-day replenishment and replacement of their small wares and supplies that they may need to continue operating smoothly. So our business is really three parts. Uh, we have our contract division that handles, like I said, that design build portion of what we what we do for contracts where we're working on a consultative basis with folks. Uh, to come up with the best possible uh, solution for them as far as design, collaborating with their architects and their general contractors and the trades, uh, to seeing those things through, supplying entire kitchens that go with it. We have a wholesale division that includes retail, so brick and mortar, uh, including an e-commerce presence as well, so that folks can shop with us either in person or online. Uh, Then we also have a a food service equipment and repair business as well. uh, that's That's just here in our Eastern Iowa location. Uh, but our hope is to be able to expand it. So our real our real crux of what we do is being able to help service our customers from the day they conceive their new business or conceive the idea of expanding that business all the way through their operations uh, to keep them running smoothly. But it's a wild time to be a part of this industry as it, as it is for many other parts of this economy. But that's just a little snippet of what we do. Well, I'm just kind of curious, like of
0: all the categories of of food service or off-prem that people are in you know, or building or getting involved in, are there any categories that you see that tend to be just maybe a little hotter right now? Maybe people are making more investments in it?
1: So incredibly enough, it was a lot of the businesses that held off during the pandemic. A business and industry, which was one that uh, was hit particularly hard by the consequences of the pandemic, uh, have really exploded back out of this segment. So fast casuals been pretty resilient uh, throughout this because they were able to adapt very, very quickly uh, to uh, mobile ordering uh, and platforms that allowed them to continue to expand their footprints without much hesitation. But business and industry, uh, hospitals, healthcare, senior living, many of those were were really significantly slowed down by what was happening uh, with the pandemic. So a lot of our work and business that we've seen here in the past year and a half since uh, things have started to uh, warm up, has been in those sides because there was still a backlog and, and as we've seen, people are struggling with uh, figuring out what that mix is going to look like long term. Is there going to be hybrid work? What is the dining space going to look like for uh, providing opportunities for people? But it's also created a world of opportunities uh, that are out there, whether it includes partnerships with ghost kitchens, um, a whole slew of options. But that that segment has been incredibly strong uh, and we hope it continues to be that way uh, for the years to come, but pretty surprising from those guys.
0: Well, there's just so much interesting news that going on out there. I kind of wanted to jump into some stories, but before I kind of get into some of the nuttiness that I'm seeing out there, um, I noticed something and you had brought this up too. It seems like there's been a quite a bit of consolidation in your market, in your market space into mm-hmm. the distributors, uh, into the service area. And I'm, I'm just seeing all these companies getting gobbled up and I'm starting to think that could be kind of a red flag moment. You know, if you're used to working with a, a local shop, right. And all of a sudden it's, it's acquired suddenly, you know, maybe you're not going to get the same service levels. What are you seeing out there?
1: Well, well absolutely. And I think for, for a lot of the, the restaurant tours that are out there, right. That might be listening to this, their experience that day to day, Um, We have a segment of our business as well that handles uh, facilities, maintenance solutions. And what they do is they work to help uh, multi-unit restaurant operators work with their service partners. So when a piece of equipment goes down, finding the best available service agents to get out and take care of their needs and get them back up and repaired as quickly as possible. And those guys have struggled on a couple of fronts. I mean, it's availability of parts. Uh, Mom and pops that are independent buyers struggle to have the buying power to get people what they need in a timely fashion. And as consolidation has happened, in particular, you're seeing some of the likes of, uh, of, of some big players that are out there that continue to uh, really take advantage of the fact that there may not be good succession planning. Independent businesses, this happens in many industries, they may not know where to go. So private equity uh, fuels the, the purchasing and the mergers. But what that means to the end users, what we're seeing is there's some positives because with the size that they have creates more buying power for those individuals, potentially better prices on parts. But it's also the challenge of having only a few providers out there who are reliable and available. Because even though they're consolidating, the availability of service technicians remains low. Uh, and as those folks are not out there in the field and able to get at those businesses more quickly, it's created its own set of challenges. So what's been unique is that consolidation can be good, but a real healthy industry needs to have some good competition in it. And unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of disparity between the very biggest and the smallest independents. And those independents matter a lot to people. And I'm sure that there's some listeners for this that are going to say, man, I wish uh, mom and pop business A was still there and could come out. There's no one that serviced it the way that they did. Well, yes, maybe their prices weren't as good. They fixed it the first time. Exactly. Uh, it's a challenge we see.
0: Oh, exactly. And I've been saying this for a long time, not necessarily on the podcast, but I, I do mention it in my personal circles and other, other people that know me. We need more people going into trade schools. College is not for everyone. And so many new advances in manufacturing are coming out. Literally, if you are good mechanically, I think you could write your own ticket these days because – literally all this equipment's got to be serviced and we're getting into a new era of of machinery right i'm that's talking right. robots <laughs> that's
1: right
0: that's right <laughs> i mean this is not the jetsons i mean we're literally i've had it i had it like last month on the food and beverage report but um another interesting story popped up uh did you see the one with uh chick-fil-a
1: mm-hmm I did see this one, right? Because they've got the, the autonomous self-driving robots delivering to college students or something like that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, how, how is that? Cha- it's just completely different from what you and I would have been accustomed to. And I think it's it's all because of the, the challenges of the labor market. And uh, and the demand that's out there to get good, reliable service more quickly to people—it's it's, it's <laughs> wild though.
0: I, <laughs> I this is going to be a train wreck. I can literally see an autonomous robot carrying food on a college campus, and suddenly, uh, you've got um, fraternity house pranks. Okay, <laughs> go steal the robot. <laughs>
1: And, do they have to figure that out? I mean, do the businesses are going to have to figure out what's I mean, what's seriously. their risk of loss on these units just disappearing? I mean, they are going to get gobbled
0: up by these guys, or or it's going to show up, and uh, you know, half drunk coke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you
1: I know. think you're right. I think you're right. But I think the re- Tony, the reality is too that this is really it's a really important change. I think in the industry, regardless, and it can be a big benefit. I mean, I was just at the restaurant show in Chicago. Uh, two weeks ago now and for the longest time i thought there's no way robots will have a place in kitchens and really be effective and 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 merging them together but i think about it the way it used to be that amazon was going to destroy everything else that was out there there'd be only online buying we started to realize quickly uh, some mix of both brick and mortar and retail or e-commerce was going to be a necessary evil to make this work i think that's what we're going to find with equipment and kitchens and and that not just kitchens that's anywhere in manufacturing and we already know what's happening it's just going to become more visible to us i think like you said and it'll be the robot that some college kids going to hack and it'll be out driving down the street and we'll be trying to figure <laughs> out what it's doing out there <laughs> i do think you're right though it's
0: it's now it's becoming more and more evident that it's going to be a big part of you know of the landscape and yeah we are having problems with with delivery but i think delivery costs are going up so look they're just they're doing all these little beta tests you know, hats, you know, hats off. I think it is, it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of goofy at the same time, but um, you know, is, we'll we'll see is. how it works. I, I what about, um, but like inside the operation, this is, you guys are, you know, obviously dealing at the wholesale level, helping a mm-hmm. QSR or fast casual kind of set up their operations. Right. Yes. So I just got, to think the cost of setting up has got to be going up or maybe, Not, I don't know. Well, it's
1: gotten expensive. There's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think, but the beauty of what I think is offered by some of these options when you're talking about automation inside inside the kitchens is there's been a lot of the, and you're seeing it happen with the likes of, you know, Taco Bell and a bunch of these others that have gone to these, you know, standalone autonomous kitchens. And, And I think there's, there's a lot of, when we're setting this up, I mean, there used to be a time when we talked about equipment being manned by people inside those spaces every time. And then we saw the development of programmable cooking systems that could have menus downloaded to them from anywhere in the country. So if an operator, uh, a multi-unit operator says, I got a new recipe, I want to make sure everyone makes it the same. You could download that recipe and all they do is hit a button with that image on there. And man, it's going to cook that thing the exact same way every year, everywhere. The coolest part that I've seen, though, is we're just like I said, when I was at that restaurant show and I saw a setup, it was Middleby companies have a pizza bot. Or this thing i'm not kidding you can walk up to a tablet you hit what you want it has a robotic arm and a pizza bot it's this big box looking thing like a refrigerator that will create the pizza put the sauce on cheese whatever toppings you selected robotic arm grabs it loads it into a conveyor pizza oven takes it out the other side and eventually they want to get to a spot where another robotic arm would unload cut the pizza put it in a hot holding container you scan your qr code and Tony, you and your family are happy walking off with a pizza fresh made for you just the way you want it without any human intervention besides someone who needs to reload and service the equipment to make sure it's working properly. So in a world where it's very difficult and, and labor rates increase, the paybacks on these actually come down pretty quickly um, because there, there will be expense to it, no doubt. Um, but it is the challenge that I think we've all faced. There's, finding good labor in the restaurant industry is tough now. Um and, and this may be a good marriage of, okay, if you really want to be involved, you can still do that. However, you get to do so maybe at a higher level. You know, you're not working in the dish pit maybe someday. You're working, uh, preparing meals and doing something fun. So there's room for robotics. They're not all bad. Um, I, I saw myself and was pretty impressed.
0: Yeah, I think um, we're also seeing this – I. I I don't know how much they're going to factor into uh, the ghost kitchens, but I know you—you know—you've been kind of keeping track on on this ghost kitchens have been around mm-hmm. for a while. Um, this was news a couple years ago. Uh, you know, DoorDash kitchens, which I thought mm-hmm. was kind of cool. I wasn't doing the food and beverage podcast, you know, at the time, so I missed that actual uh, news drop. But they have been opening up their own basically ghost kitchen operation right and helping Mm -hmm. their clients expand so kind of it looks like a share almost like a shared investment like let's help you get a you know open up into new markets and of course they can bring in local you know local flavors and things like that um what's so what do you think's going to happen on, on the Ghost kitchen side? Are you going to well, see that it continue to expand for food service? I
1: think it, I think it will. And, and it, but it changes the equipment dynamic too, but it, because I think that's always been the, the barrier to expansion, right? People don't want to grow quickly because they don't know if they want to invest you know $150,000 in, in a smoothie operation uh, somewhere that's uh, hundreds of miles from their home base, right. How can they know it's going to work without making a significant investment, hiring tons of their own people? trying to manage it from long range. It's just, there's a ton of complexity. So when you see what's happened with DoorDash and, and this article that was out there uh, regarding uh, there's a smoothie operation that they said, Hey, we're going to open up a spot. I think it was in Northern California. It was. And they, and they were working. What's the name of that smoothie? Nectar. Do you remember? The, I think it's like n- nectar juice yeah. bar. Yeah. So I think their advantage is that now they get to open up with uh, limited risk, right? Because they get to utilize the existing operation uh, that DoorDash has they simply have them execute on the recipe, and all the online ordering uh, that folks might be have available now. They can move into a marketplace and kind of beta test it before they even uh, put that full investment. Maybe one day they need a standalone, because maybe the fees get to be too much, and they realize, hey, at this point, we need to go full hog into this. Uh, into it's this almost opportunity. like an incubator in yes. a way.
0: I mean, it is. It's it's. I mean, they obviously have got their
1: product dialed in, but it's, well, and I've it's, seen like like have you, you talked to Have you talked to anybody about the fact that you know? I think of, I've seen a number of reports about you know restaurants that are able to test new menu items in different locations using things like this, where where they have now a chance to say, hey, it's under a different brand name. It may not be their their exact brand name uh, that they operate with on a brick and mortar basis, but they might say, hey, we want to test some new menu items to see how they how they how they're received by the public. And there's benefit in a, in a number of different ways. I'd have to imagine for operators on this stuff.
0: Yeah, like you say, it's just too expensive to try to you know open up a complete restaurant concept. It just yeah. it's just not going to work. And I saw another um, interesting story that um, foot traffic is down, mm-hmm. and I was a little surprised by in, in the restaurant space. I was a little surprised by that because, as you mentioned. Um, quick service or, or casual, you know, has really been bouncing back and doing really well. But the latest report was that the restaurant traffic in QSR is actually down. Right. And right. fast casual kind of behind that. But then ironic, well, not ironic, I thought it was kind of interesting, fine dining and upscale casual was increasing. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting trend because <laughs> I would, it's, it's my take is with, with the prices going up, it's affecting a certain socioeconomic group right? and they're becoming sensitive to that, maybe backing off the QSR. Mm-hmm. And of course, people who could afford fine dining, you know, another $15, $20 to them may not, may not mean as much, but I don't, know, it's, it's a little troubling to see
1: uh, that trending down. I think it, it is. It is. And, and, and I think that's the impact of, you know, regardless it's uh People have less take-home money when more of it's going towards filling their tank of gas. And, and inflationary pressure has an impact. Menu prices continuing to rise. I don't think that the menu prices that many QSRs have seen, you know, those alone would do it, right? I mean, if, if everything else was the same, if fuel costs were... were Unchanged. I'm I'm certain that you know a rise. I think they mentioned something like a seven percent increase year over year. I think that's yeah, right. a good point. It's everything in in combined, right? It's everything, right? It's everything. But I think at the same point, you know, business is booming. People are getting back out there, and in our I mean, our world, it's always been that fine dining is is the realm of business travelers, uh, and so if fine dining is succeeding, that means business is still moving uh you know 08 was a big downturn for fine dining because business travel stopped uh pandemic obviously completely That makes sense. I had not really struggling.
0: made that co- I had not really made that correlation.
1: It is it is I mean the number of there, times is, is that one how, of the you, like the indicators? It is. It is. I mean how often have you been I mean I'll go out for a nice event, right? I'll take my wife out to a very nice dinner on special occasions, but I'm a lot more likely to go on a business trip or entertain a client or be entertained by manufacturers that I work with to go to a really nice place to eat dinner. If I'm doing it on my own, you'll find me at, you know, any of the QSR options that get my kids food as fast as they can possibly get it. Right.
0: (laughs) I hope your wife's not listening. I am so sorry. (laughs) You know, Eric, this is not really meant to be, you know, a personal podcast, but I got to say, man, happy wife, happy
1: life. (laughs) I could learn a thing or two, right? No, I could learn uh, a thing no, or I'm, two. But they but I think regardless of this of this metric, what is what is pretty interesting to me is you can start to see the impacts. Again, revenue's still up and uh, you yeah. know, revenue is a good number, but revenue is happening. The growth is happening because of inflationary pressure. The margin is still a stress for these folks, and just like it is on the food supplies they're trying to get. Um, you know, I'm reading articles about how there's franchisees there or sorry, there's operators that have franchises that have hired specific new roles to try to advise their franchisees on how to handle supply chain problems. I mean, it's just a, it's a very different world we're in and you can see people reacting in different ways, but I think they're seeing exactly what we're talking about here. That there is something that's out there happening and how do we help our, our uh, operators continue to do so at the best margin possible. Uh, so that they can not take a step backwards, but just stay the course uh, and continue to find a way to be creative and attract people back in.
0: I know this is not necessarily your area of expertise, but how how
1: fragile do you think our actual food supply chain is? Man, oh man. It seems way more fragile every day, does it? But everything supply chain seems fragile. It does. And, and, and I think, you know, I I live in the Midwest. Agriculture is huge for us here, uh, and the challenges of, you know, bird flu. Right? You look at the cost of eggs, you know, continuing to rise on a regular basis. You look at the challenges of uh, of droughts putting uh, putting strain on resources to get enough corn produced uh, to feed the beast, as it were, uh, in this country when we have a, a huge appetite for continuing to spend. But you really realize the impact of, of some really bigger things uh, when you see some of the challenges that they've been up against. And, and on top of the challenges of whether it be bird flu or whether it be drought or whether it's any of those, there's also the logistics you know, of getting food to these places. It's a perishable good. I mean, so making sure you've got transportation uh, to get something from uh, where it's growing in a field in the southwestern part of the United States to the Midwest. That's its own series of, of challenges. So like everything else, it's challenging, but because it's a perishable good, I think it changes the dynamic completely. Uh, when it's durable stuff, like we're moving, it's fine. We're frustrated when it sits in a port for uh, an extra month and can't get to our clients. But man, oh man, the food distributors, they've got to have battles like we can't believe to try to maintain product and get it to the to the final destination in good shape where it's still usable. That's a It's a big challenge.
0: Yeah, it just kind of hit me as you were going through that. Even going back to our earlier conversation about the consolidation in the wholesale uh, of equipment and service, the the farming industry (ag) has gone through this consolidation as well. When you are consolidating into smaller geographical areas, you are putting pressure on that last mile, so to speak. Right. And I would think that one of the ways to combat this problem is to you know, and maybe have a, uh, a community-supported agricultural, re, mm-hmm. you know, uh, resurgence, right? I mean, that CSAs used to be a big thing. They really have kind of gone away. You don't have Amen. communities that come together and say, hey, local farmer, we're going to invest in your farm, and we're going to, you know, kind of share in the uh, results, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? I kind of feel yes. like we need to kind of go
1: in that direction to take some of the pressure off this last mile. Well see, now my wife can be happy that I'm in this conversation because she's got us on one of those. But they are, they're valuable. Really? They're valuable. Well, she or she doesn't have one. We are we are members of a CSA, but the value that those bring is is huge, right? And it's the go back to the support local movement. Bigger isn't always better. And the beauty of the United States has always been, right, our diversification that we've created. Anybody can be an entrepreneur. Um, but it's more and more challenging as, as the big players get bigger. It's like you said, you know, yes, there are economies of scale, so you get better prices and, and all that is good. However, when you have a lack of diversity in your supply chain, you see what happens when you're not two, three, four suppliers deep in every one of your categories, there's a big problem. The real issue we face: there's less of those suppliers out there. I mean, every yep. day there's small independent farmers that are having to sell their land again, because farming's hard. But, you know, there's, there's some places around here, I actually have a good, uh, a good friend of mine whose family, uh, actually his in-laws family have a, a dairy farm uh, here, right near where we're at. And they embrace using robotics for the dairy farming because dairy farming is extremely labor intensive. They're working with a company that's actually European based, but they're just moving a factory here to Iowa uh, to start up. And that takes away the need to miss every event that your children or grandchildren have. People didn't want to do dairy farming because it's extremely labor intensive. They had no life. And now people that are, you know, coming to the workforce, they want vacations. They want to travel places. They want to build Instagram, the cool things they're doing, right? So they don't want to say, hey, I'm sitting here on a dairy farm working my, my tail off and I can't I can't get out to do those things.
0: 24/7, 365.
1: Go back, right. Go back to robotics. You can still now be a dairy farmer. Yes, there's there's more upfront cost, it's expensive. But that stuff allows a small operator like that to continue to thrive because the, the real challenge is getting people into some of these industries that are perceived as difficult or, or not easy to get into. And you said it before, it's the trades, it's farming, it's a lot of the stuff that we're looking at right now. It's trucking and transportation, stuff that maybe people think that's not a glamorous job. But I'm telling you, there's and you probably see this too in what you do there's good money in these jobs. I think people look beyond them too easily and don't really consider them as a, as a career path, but there is some cool stuff happening. And and it is, it's a marriage of robotics and and people uh, that might make it easier for people to envision themselves in these fields and maybe get back to having more CSAs locally for a greater diversity in the supply chain.
0: Yeah. I mean, if, if you're listening now and you've got kids in high school and you're not sure they're showing the interest in going you know, to uh, upper level, uh, college or even beyond Mm -hmm. business school. Yeah. I mean, turn them on to some kind of a, you know, co-op, some kind of an internship, let them go Mm -hmm. out there and use their hands. A lot of times these, you know, folks who are more mechanically inclined, they, they tend to show up early. You can kind of tell that that's kind of what they like to do. And, you know, if they're not interested in getting an engineering degree, you know, get them to use their hands because, We're always driving cars and trucks. And of course, we were talking about all the, you know, new robotics coming out. Companies like you. Well, let's face it. I mean, you guys, uh, you've got got a service business. And Mm -hmm. sure, you want to sell the product, but you want to keep that customer long term. You want to keep them Mm -hmm. happy. You want to be there for the next need. You want to be there when they need to design a new facility. You can be there. But the way you keep that connectivity is through service, right? Amen. Yep. Right. that's how that's you right. keep it going. And so part of, of what you're going to be faced with is for you guys to manage that service. You're going to have to be hiring people who understand the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the Chick-fil-A autonomous robot
1: repair, dude. <laughs> See, and the fact you as soon as I got back, I had to tell one of our, our senior technicians we have. Awesome guy knows a ton and I said did you ever imagine there'd be a time where you might be doing service work on a robotic arm exactly. uh, that operates autonomously and he said nope wouldn't have thought that when he started into this industry you know a couple decades back but he's also excited by the challenge because it gives him again it, it means his his career path remains extremely relevant it just changes the work and the manner in which he, do, he does it but People, again, they may think, oh, man, being a laborer is, is not ideal and you got to get dirty and you got to do these things. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of personal pride you can get out of these. And again, it is a career. It's not just a job. There's, hey, there's a great development.
0: Eric, you and I are sitting in an office. I mean, if if you're a mechanic, you can be outside. You might be, as you say, getting dirty. There is a benefit to being outside and get that vitamin D. No so doubt. Um, no everything, doubt. you know, everything has its uh, trade off. So yeah. um, yep. you're right. Look, man, there's there's a lot of news out there. I think what I'd like to do is every couple months, let, let's let come back together and let's talk about more, you know, the other things that are affecting food service. Food service is obviously a huge segment within food and beverage. And, uh, you know, just keep, uh, you know, keep on keep top of everything. Going. Yeah, yeah. let's just let's keep it going. Let's kind of keep on top of everything. And um, but before we go, though, I'm kind of curious. Um just in general, are you seeing any other trends that we need to be tracking? Anything that so, kind of jumped out at you?
1: So I think I think a big thing for us uh, that that is really, really going to be important for people, and, and this is really, I think, uh, we've seen articles on this throughout uh, the industry that we're in, and I've heard it from a number of people that we work with, whether it be, you know, again, restaurant owners or, or folks at the college and university level. It's being adaptable uh, in these times. So the trends are that... The trend I'd tell you to look for is being open to different options. I think a lot of people got used to a model, a brand a type that they liked in the past, and they wanted to continue that being the case. But right now, that may not be possible. And if you want to be able to open your doors on time, given that some things, again, in our world for equipment, there are items that are you know 24-week lead times. You're not going to open your doors too quickly. So having a chance to say, okay, that is that manufacturer. But there is a world of options when it comes to a walk in. And so, being open to say, looking with your partners, understanding what the pros and cons of any changes may be, and be able to make intelligent decisions. You know, there was an article I I read too that was great. It kind of gave five bullet points of, you know, the key things you want to be thinking about. And one of them is really saying being adaptable, but the second being make your moves as quickly as you can right now. The longer you wait on these things, the longer you wait to try to make that purchase. If you know you want to move ahead, the more expensive it's going to become. So the biggest thing, the escalation clauses, right? (laughs) Right, right. No doubt. So I think that's the only big thing that I'd really, that I'd really say is seems to be popping up all the time. Flexibility, uh, change your mindset, be willing to be open to new opportunities, rely on your good partners that you've worked with historically to ask them and challenge them to come up with some good ideas for you and see if, uh, it can be a home run for you guys when, when you're out there trying to, build a new space, put a new operation together, what have you.
0: Well, Eric, I appreciate you coming down here. If anybody wants to connect with you or kind of get a better idea of maybe how to work with you guys for a consulting project or you know, maybe a new wholesale distributor,
1: what's the best way for them to connect with you guys or, or, or you? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I appreciate you having me on here uh, to talk with you today. This was a lot of fun having a chance to just really talk about these things that are going on. If someone is interested in doing design build, uh, looking at rethinking their space and coming up with a new way of getting after, or, or like I just said, trying to look at some options that they may not have had in the past, we'd love to talk with you. Feel free to reach out to us at uh, www.rapidscontract.com. That's R-A-P-I-D-S contract.com. And if you want to check out and you're just in need of some new uh, supplies that you got, you can visit us as well at rapidswholesale.com. So spelled the same way. We'd love to have you come out, visit us. You can always inquire there and we'll get you in touch with one of our fantastic folks who will get you set, set and taken care of. Um, but that's the best way to reach us. And yeah, Tony, again, thank you for giving me a few minutes here to chat with you. And, and, oh, it's uh, great,
0: man. It was talk. great to go take your wife out for some fine dining this weekend. No more QSR.
1: I owe her, right? I owe her after, after, after this, that. Man. Come admit, on, dig
0: yourself out of the hole. Come me. on.
1: <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Tony. Drop a
0: Benjamin you. on it.
1: Eric, great talking to you today, sir. Good talking to you too.